our moms are pretty savvy in terms of just our model is to bring we bring in some education components, we bring in the investment in the asset, but it's really they're successful because of the peer network that they develop. And you know this because of your work. They inspire each other, they share resources, they have each other's backs. I mean, so one of our moms became a family lawyer, another mom was in a car accident. She's like, Call me, I have resources for you. So but it's becoming more of like an underground network. And so I think organizations that look at this from poverty is not a linear process. It takes multiple interventions. It's holistic. You need to have all kinds of things happening. And the more our groups, nonprofits can work together and collaborate and have that funded and really design a system that works, I think the better and more integrated and strong the system will be. Welcome to How Women Inspire, where women lead, invest, and give. I'm your host, Julie Castro-Abrams, founder and CEO of How Women Lead and managing partner of the venture firm How Women Invest, feminist, social justice warrior, mother, friend of 50,000 plus badass women, and an expert at helping top executive women get on boards and break down barriers for women entrepreneurs, investors, and social impact activists. In this podcast, we interview women influencers and leaders from across the globe who are in the C-suite, founding companies, investing, and agents of change. We'll share stories of how women lead. We'll provide insights and data, tips you can put into action, and get to know the women who have fiercely and unabashedly stepped into their power in leadership and opened doors for other women like you. We discuss topics ranging from the journey of getting a board seat, how we can counter cultural frameworks that change the way the world views women leaders, what we're doing to close the gender funding gap, and driving equity for women in all aspects of life and career. My goal is that after every episode, you walk away feeling inspired, unstoppable, ready to level up and step into your power and influence. I want to break down the cultural narratives that hold us back collectively and those messy messages you heard that are taking up way too much of your brain space. I want you to know you're invited in because I know that together we can change the culture, change opportunities, and create the future we want for our daughters and sisters and friends. This is our time. Are you in? Welcome to How Women Inspire. Today's guest is Danica Delore. Danica is executive director of Wanda, the newly minted from Women and Allies, which you may have heard of. This is a Silicon Valley nonprofit on a mission to empower the striving, success-minded single mothers and provide a lived experience with a systems lens to philanthropic social sector collaborations. With sardonic Gen X humor as her superpower, she credits her healthy ego as a San Francisco native and her upbringing in cyclical poverty by a single mother for her walk your talk approach to social impact evolution. I hope when you hear that introduction, you really start to feel that this leader is really the right leader, the right woman at the right place 
for helping all of us embrace these talented people into our ecosystem. She's been on media outlets, including New York Times, San Francisco Chronicle, California Groundbreakers, and was recently honored as a woman of influence by the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Congratulations. I'm so excited to spend time with you today. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Julie. Okay, before we get into the serious stuff, do you have a song that you play to help lift you up or to celebrate with? Yeah, this is a fun question and my theme song might change every time, but today I'm really feeling Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It? Yeah. Yeah. As we're speaking today, we're in a crisis globally. There's we're seeing hate and bombing and loss of lives and which is just so heartbreaking and so it's so beautiful to be with you today and hear about the love that you're putting out in the world in your commitment so thank you so much can you tell us a little bit about wanda and how did, how did you get it started Sure. So Wanda was founded by women for women. And the mission was really about building economic empowerment for striving single mothers. And when you think about single mothers, you know, 80% of single parent households are led by women and about 35% of them live in poverty. It just really resonated with me because I was the daughter of a single mother raised in cyclical poverty in San Francisco. And at the time, I just had my first daughter. And I thought, what a great concept something that's really focused on this group of women. And I also really have always gravitated in my career towards organizations that have a compelling mission and impactful data, but need kind of innovators to bring strategy and sustainability to the organization. So, you know, it's been a long time. I've been working with Wanda and it's just such rewarding work. I'm really inspired by the women I work with every day. So, when I hear what you're working on, I have so many questions about the how-to, but I think about economic justice and how it shows up individually for specific women. Can you talk about how that comes into the conversation in your work? Yeah, I mean, it's a cha- there's, there's lots of wonderful work happening at policy level in various communities, but when you're trying to change policies and systems. And I'll talk a bit about my, I have a very integrated systems lens. I always look at what's the big picture here. How are things working together? It's often takes a very long time for things to be tangible where you actually see the impact. Often it's overly bureaucratic. And especially now, I think we see that there's just this gap that's widening and widening. I mean, the circumstances from when I was a child, you know, I had a lot of friends actually that were raised by single moms. It wasn't something that was unusual. And we all kind of scrapped by, but I just see this bigger chasm happening. And it's really compounding for communities of color. And there doesn't seem to be a solution. I just see lots of kind of sutures for the disease that we need to fix. Well, now I just, to me, and especially, I mean, here we are, we're coming off of like just the last year and a quarter after the Dobbs decision in Roe was struck down. And, you know, this idea that somehow we want women to go through with pregnancies they didn't plan. And some of those, of course, for single mothers were planned. And yet we kind of leave women to their own devices. We even blame them and make you would just it just occurred to me as you were talking about the systems, because I think we I went to social work school. First thing they said is like programs for poor people are often poor programs. Right. And 
I would love to hear sort of your, both your perspective on that and what you're doing about it for these women. Like it is desperate that they get the help that they and their children need so that for, for the future, for them and for their kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think part of it's defining, we, we, we build assets. And so what's an asset and how do you place value in that asset? We think of assets in traditional, it's what your cash, it's what you own, it's home ownership. But what we really want our participants to know is that they are their own best asset and their most valued asset. And I think, as you mentioned, here we're in 2023. It's like we take two steps forward and one step back. I'm always amazed that we're still having some of these conversations about what I believe are fundamental rights for women. And in the meantime, we talk about the system while we're waiting for that system to catch up. What can we do for the individual to empower them to figure out how to gain ownership, be motivated and connected to others? And so what Wanda's trying to do is while we're waiting for that system to catch up, what can we do for you as the individual to have you realize that you are your own best asset? Because a lot of women we work with don't see that, you know, it depends on your circumstances. And when you're just trying to survive day to day, it's like, oh, you should go to college. You should do this job. It's like, what are you talking about? Like with what time? It's not even in my purview. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Well, so I run all kinds of organizations and one of them, a microfinance organization for low income women, right? Worked with over 6,000 women. And I would do this exercise with our board members who none of them got, they couldn't get it in their bones, right? But here's the effort that I always did. I would say, okay, I'm going to ask you to do this math exercise. All right. This is how much Jill makes and here are all her expenses. She's barely making it right. All right. Now what happens when she has someone break into her car and she's got to pay $250? Where is that going to go? And then if she goes to the local emergency loan place, that then the interest starts to gather and all of a sudden she's in a hole. And trying to really get people to understand and put themselves in the shoes of people who are just like us, but for different circumstances, working their rear ends off, having to stand, you know, wait and stand in a million lines, if you will, for all the, to get any modest resources. And I think about access to universal baseline of income that I know we saw an example of that in California, one of the California cities did a pilot and it was super successful. You work on universal basic assets as this long-term vision for equity. I'd love to hear what your approach is. Right. So that's a framework I'm interested in. I think, again, looking at a systems lens. Well, and first off, I want to, your uh, idea around problem solving, that's something we open with our moms is like, okay, here's what happens. What are you going to do? And these women, they have a plan. They They come, they're scrappy. They figure out what they need to do. And the margin, as I mentioned, is so thin with you know, one car breakdown and it can you can't get to work. You can't, there's a domino effect. But UBI is really important. And I think that the success of some of that work is great and we need to do that. But my question again is, what's the long-term plan? It's expensive. It's time-consuming. It builds, it takes a lot of capacity. Those just aren't sexy concepts. It's like, we want to round our change up and have like massive, you know. Um, Immediate dense, gratification. <laughs> right, right. But, but the idea was, it was done by, I believe, the Institute of the Future. And they, they looked at like, what's the framework? So we have private assets, we have public assets and open assets. 
privates or cash, you know, public is your healthcare systems, your access to basic needs. And then open is things like the digital market, things like Wikipedia, who owns that technology, who owns your data, and how can we build a framework where people can actually own this, prosper from it, and also be accountable. And I thought that was a really great concept. Now, Wanda is just a small piece of what about that concept. It's really helping you develop those private assets. But if more people have that access, you're building a system. And so I just, I find that interesting and I've been reading more about it and I just would love to find ways to connect all the great work our nonprofits do to really build a system that works and have it funded. Is there, <laughs> is there anybody yeah. who you would say has figured it out and we just need to get behind them? Or is this is something where it's a call to action for everyone listening to this podcast. Like we need to figure this out. And if you have great ideas, we want to talk to you. I haven't seen anyone really do yeah. all of these things. Yeah. It's just, it's a monster, yeah. right? It's yeah. huge. But yeah. UBI is a start you stepping in the right direction, integrating yeah. our systems. So I yeah. think there's work there, but it yeah. it's, involves a lot more attention. Sure. I mean, the I've donated to this organization that seems so simple, right? It's making sure that moms have access to diapers and for their babies, right? Just something that basic, the shame of not being able to provide for a newborn, the stress, and then the compounding impact on your baby and your health and your children over life. If you don't get these basic mm-hmm. the subsistence, the, the get your get your head above water is absolutely. It's a we all have to believe it's our issue. I'm sorry, I'm getting on my soapbox. We're, yeah. I'm interviewing you, but I really feel so very strongly that it behooves all of us. And it's, it's about humanity. Like if we don't, we got to procreate or the society does not survive. So why are we not treating the women and children as precious as they really are? Yeah. Why do we still have to pay for menstrual products? Why are these things, why is there a huge gap in women's healthcare, especially after you're in your fifties? I mean, these are system failures. And these are big questions I think we all struggle with. And the small nonprofit that you just mentioned is integral to this because mm-hmm. what can happen is even with the nonprofits, it can become systematized. There's these monster nonprofits, which are really valuable, but they're just cranking it out. And we need the small innovative approaches to still mm-hmm. kind of tie those loose ends together. Mm-hmm. And to connect us as human beings to That's each right. other. And people talk about, it takes a village to raise a child. Um, But this is the thing. The United States is one of the only countries in the world where there's not a village. You know, I'm looking at my own children talking about having their own kids, right? Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh, can we all buy homes close to each other so we can really be there for each other? Because the United States, we don't do that. And people are really to their own devices. And so I'd love to hear about how you integrate that as part of your thinking. Yeah. I mean, we. You're right. <laughs> Where's the village gone? You know, it's and especially yeah. now with with technology's brought so many amazing things, but it's also isolated us a lot. I think about my kids and it's not like back in the day, I think I was passed around to multiple families <laughs> like, hey, I can't do I got to work late. I got to do this. And it's odd now you just it's not the same kind of environment. And we expect so much more from women and mothers. You still got to compete. You still got to have these high powered jobs, work the hours. And you also need to work your other like 15 hour job, which is raising your kids. And I think it's a reframing of what we value. Our women, our mother, they are our assets. I mean, this is the next generation we're, we're investing in. And so 
I agree. So Fox, I'm up there with you. <laughs> like we yeah. need to really figure out how to do this. So are and, there um, collaborations yeah. that can happen that you could imagine would, would have an impact on this? Sure. I mean, our moms are pretty savvy in terms of just our model is to bring, we bring in some education components, we bring in the investment in the asset, but it's really, they're successful because of the peer network that they develop. And you know this because Um, of your work, they inspire each other, they share resources, they have each other's backs. I mean, one of our moms became a family lawyer, another mom was in a car accident. She's like, call me, I have resources for you. So but it's becoming more of like an underground network. And so and I, and so I think my last point about this is organizations that look at this from poverty is not a linear process. It takes multiple interventions. It's holistic. You need to have all kinds of things happening. And the more our groups, nonprofits can work together and collaborate and have that funded and really design a system that works, I think the better and more integrated and strong the system will be. Well, you said some of these really important pieces. Let's talk about funding because not all funding, it may have started with the good, the good intentions, but not all of it, it's, it's working for us. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about these community-led approaches for funding that are out there. Yeah. Well, you know, i been in the nonprofit sector for most of my career. We have some wonderful funders and often I'm at roundtables with other grantees and they're like, talk amongst yourself. And it's great. <laughs> but it's we have so little room to innovate because the money's tight. You're just kind of, you have to keep your operations going. So there's not a lot of flexible capital for you to actually say, if we could do this better, what would that look like? And what resources do you have? What are you doing well? And what am I doing well? And how do we make those work together? I think it's, again, some of the work that's being done is fabulous. And it's about time with community-led approaches. But my question is always, and this relates to what you you also do, Julie, is like, who's on your board making the decisions? Are you just having like a community roundtable informing your strategy? Or who do you have making the actual decisions for your organization. And if they're not on there, maybe it involves training. Maybe, I don't know, but that's the next level of accountability. We had our first alumna join our board and she is busy, but her perspective is fabulous and it really helps us innovate in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. I was part of an effort that the United Way had. No, this is a long time ago. It's called 15 years ago, right? So no slight to the United Way. But they sort of talked about wanting to have the people that are the people who are doing the work come together, make decisions and drive what the strategy should be. That's not what it was. It was a bunch of meetings and there was absolutely no power, no influence assigned. It was kind of, it felt like, I don't know. And the worst thing to me is if you ever say, you're doing something and waste someone's time and it's absolutely not happening, then to me, that's where I draw the line. Like that really frustrates me, right? It's like, well, then don't waste my time and don't pretend and be a hypocrite. Like either it is or it isn't. And I'm not gonna be part of something that that lacks integrity and says that it is when it isn't. So, but diversity and lived experience and leadership cannot, you cannot understand that from a book or an article or even working with other people. And I love that you have a leader on your board that has taken advantage of the services and understands the experience of not just in concept, but your their experience with Wanda. Their, their real lived experience with interfacing. And so they understand the, the client, if you will, uh, your participants, how critical that is. All of this just 
I feel hyperprotective of women, but I also know how resilient they are. And I know you are just a spectacular leader. Do you have a resilient story that you'd be willing to share? Sure, sure. So I love to promote myself as a Gen Xer. I'm really proud of my small and scrappy (laughs) generation. I grew up in San Francisco, as I mentioned. I like to say I was raised by a latchkey, you know, but powered by sarcasm. (laughs) You know, it's my generation. My mom made a choice to be a single mother and she struggled with crippling debt, financial housing, and job insecurity. No one wanted to rent to a single mother with terrible credit. So we probably moved about, you know, 12 times before I was 18. We were lucky to have my great uncle let us, we we slept on his floor for a while when she was trying to get a secured apartment. And there's a lot of, I think it's like underlying trauma and shame when you're, when you don't have money. But I think at the same time, people might say, well, latchkeys were neglected. You didn't have the engagement, but you know, it taught me to be independent. It taught me like I could cook for myself. I took the bus. And I think as a result, I'm able to weather a lot more hardship. And so my mom, despite all her, her challenges, she made the best decision she could with what she knew. And she made sure that I went to college and she helped me with all my financial aid. And by really thanks to her guidance, you know, I got my first secured credit card, didn't take out loans. And I graduated with a master's with zero debt. Nice. Well done. So I'm proud of that. So that's, yeah. I came for this. Yeah. I got that. So I'm really proud of it. And I really credit the work I do now and some of that to my mom. Well, boy, are we lucky to have you in leadership. And I know that with someone like you leading the way, you'll make it sure it gets done no matter <laughs> what. But that's the thing about coming up from an environment like that. It's like, yeah tell me this can't be done because I've done it all. I can lift mountains and I can see your muscles from here. So thank you so much for your leadership. And to me, single mothers are, are both powerful and there's a vulnerability there. You're holding too much. And I think we all have to be grateful for anybody that is embracing them and finding solutions and supporting them through those years when it's the hardest. So thank you for your amazing work. How can people get in touch with you? And is there anything that that people can do for you and your work at Wanda? Sure. I'm a big, I love networking. I'm I'm on LinkedIn. So that's a great way to get in touch. And for the organization, Wanda Silicon Valley, we have lots of our social media handles on Facebook and other channels. I love working with smart, strategic people. So even just having conversations, helping me think again, we talk about untraditional systems, who else is out there. I'm really open to your perspective, even if it doesn't seem like it's a fit. So I love those conversations. I thrive in in that. And our organization, it's a nonprofit. We're always looking for partners for scaling our program, all all those pieces. So, so that's, that's all we. As a, we're, we're out of time, but I cannot help but ask, so what is next for you? Where are we going to see, what, five or 10 years from now, what, do you, what is your vision? Yeah. I mean, I've been with Wanda for almost a decade and this, I'm seeing it, it's like taking off. And I think when I look at myself in the future, I want to be helping those funders bring those people on their board and and do those collective investments. I'm really excited by the idea of building that system and and supporting that work. 
Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank yeah. you for everything you're doing. What a critical values-based leader you are. You're my favorite kind of person to promote and talk about. So I hope everybody who's listening here can just take a pause and think about the strong women and mothers that you know, and especially the single moms that you've seen show up and look like it was easy. Give them a little extra support and love, no matter where they're at right. in the economic uh, systems. It's it's super freaking hard. Um, yeah. So we're grateful for them and their strength, but they need us all. They need the village. They do. Thank you, Julie, for these opportunities as well. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode of How Women Inspire. And because your inspiration should not stop when this podcast ends, head over to our website, howwomenlead.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at How Women Lead and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app to find out how you can proactively take charge and step into your power through our workshops and activism in our loving network. We want to propel you. See you next time, ladies. And remember to be unabashedly visible.